Let me ask you for forgiveness at the start of this message because I feel like um, a little bit unprepared. I had a great sermon prepared. I mean, this is Pentecost Sunday, and I have a good bit of Pentecostal in me, and I had a number of Holy Ghost stories that I was going to tell you and wanted to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the whole topic of glossolalia, praying in tongues. Um, I'm a closet tongue talker. Uh, but I was gripped by current events um, this week uh, and the way in which Pentecost and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives speaks to the way there were to be human in this world. Um, I'm speaking of the horrific death of George Floyd in Minneapolis this week. He was a 46-year-old black man who died on Monday in the city he moved to for a better life. Um, his arrest was caught on video. The video shows Mr. Floyd pleading um, that he is in pain, that he can't breathe. And he was pinned down by a Minneapolis police officer's knee uh, for five minutes. And then his eyes shut and the pleas stopped. Now, I have no political interests in talking about this. I, I just can't help thinking about what Jesus' take is on it and how he would want his church to respond. I mean, Jesus is still the head of the church. The thing about Jesus is he seemed to see human beings when he looked at people, not just their status in society or the color of their skin or uh, where they were from. When Jesus runs into people, he seems to see them, people, humans. When Jesus runs into a foreigner in John 4, John's gospel says that, as he's relating the story, that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In other words, this story about him talking with this person from Samaria, Jesus was breaking some social, some cultural rules as he talks with this person. Why? Because when Jesus bumps into people, he sees human beings, not Samaritans versus Jews. And the person he's talking to is a woman. <laughs> and she is shocked that he's talking with her because she's a woman. And she says, how can you talk to me? This is in John 4. Um, and the reason is, is because when Jesus bumps into people, he sees human beings, not whether they are male or female. There's another story in the Gospel of Matthew, it's chapter 8, that would have been shocking to any first century person. Jesus is coming down from the mountainside, the text says, with large crowds following him. And this man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Let me just interject that lepers were not welcome around crowds. Lepers in public were supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean, as they went about, and no one got near them much less touch them. And the text continues that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Why? I mean, why would Jesus touch an untouchable? Because Jesus didn't distinguish between touchables and untouchables. He only saw human beings. Let me give you one more. This is out of Luke's gospel in chapter 7. This is where Jesus encounters a local prostitute. And the text says, in starting in verse 37 of Luke 7, a woman uh, 
in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, a true prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, letting this woman near him who lived a sinful life, this was not in the best interest of Jesus, or, nor would it have helped his standing in the community. And yet Jesus lets this prostitute near him and is silent as he is judged for it. Why? Because Jesus doesn't see sinners and saints. He only sees people, human beings, and he welcomes them, and he hears their cries, and he embraces the suffering that they bear. We are most like Jesus when we see others first as human. I mean, I get that people outside of faith can be dismissive and hateful of others who are different than them. I remember back in 1992 in the riots of Los Angeles that separate, or sort of centered, centered around the, this unjust beating of this guy named Rodney King. There was a quote from a white guy who was asked why this sort of thing happened. And he replied, people just hate other people who are not like them. Think of that. People just hate other people who are not like them. John claims, for those that are captured by the gospel, that we are taught by God to love people, which is to say that it doesn't necessarily come naturally. What does come naturally for broken humanity is to hate other people who are not like us. But Christian thought holds that it was the dawning of evil that created divisions between human beings. It was St. Maximus, sixth century dead guy, who wrote, quote, the devil, the man's tempter from the beginning, had separated man in his will or from his will and had separated men from each other, end quote. Separation comes from evil, from sin. This is seen most prominently in the biblical narrative when we get to the Tower of Babel. And this is where the rebellion from God resulted in human beings running from each other, saying different things about life, things they no longer understood from each other. This kind of separation continues all through human history between tribes and peoples and nations, all moving from each other or trying to use each other. And then we come to this moment that we celebrate today the day of Pentecost, where God's Spirit is poured out on people. And our text says in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. In other words, the story begins with togetherness. And then listen to this in contradistinction to Babel, where languages are confused. It says, when they heard the sound of them speaking in tongues, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? <laughs> all these nations coming together, all these languages coming together, what does this mean? It means that the Holy Spirit has reversed Babel, that humanity was divided and couldn't understand each other, but now we come together and we can find common human language and voice. Henry Lubach wrote of this, quote, God is working continually in the world that all should come together into unity. Though sin caused humanity to be shattered into a thousand pieces, God intends that humanity constitute a harmonious whole in which mine and thine would be no contradiction, end quote. Unity. When Paul speaks of those touched by the Spirit, he says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? Differences do not have to define how we relate to each other anymore, not if you're in Christ. Ephesians 2 expresses this as well. And starting in verse 14, he says, for Christ is our living peace. He has made a unity of the conflicting elements between us by breaking down the barrier which lay between us. By his sacrifice, he removed the hostility and made in himself one new humanity, thus producing peace. For Jesus reconciled us by the sacrifice of one body on the cross and by this act utterly made our antagonism irrelevant between us. What he's saying is we do not have to hate other people who are not like us. In fact, if, if Jesus is our Lord, we must love people. John boldly claims this in 1 John 4. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we know that we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. He says there's no fear in love. We love, he continues, because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, John says he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he said, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. See, this means we must arrest anything in us that's not loving, that doesn't celebrate others as they are. So, how are you doing in this regard? I mean, do you respond to people differently? I mean, what if you encounter someone who appears wealthy? Do you respond to them differently than to someone who is homeless? I mean, do you see their equal humanity or are you controlled by their station or by their class? 
What about someone who's beautiful or someone who is definitely not so? <laughs> Do you find yourself unusually open to one and not to the other? How do you respond to someone who is old or to someone who is not very abled, maybe in a wheelchair or not very socially functional? I mean, do you see those distinguishing marks before you see the person? Are you willing to touch everyone, even those you may perceive as leprous? Do you see each person as one for whom Christ died, or do you see difference and shudder or recoil? He's talking about what's going on inside us. How do you respond when you have an encounter with a person of color? I mean, we know that racism is still deeply seated in our culture, but how can it go unchecked within the culture of Christ's church? I mean, it's unjust. I mean, I don't care if you're a tither or a big-time prayer person or an uber volunteer. I mean, listen to the prophet. I mean, Amos 5 claims, away with the noise of your songs. He's talking about their worship. He said, I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Or listen to Micah 6. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Dr. Cornell West said, Justice is what love looks like in public. Tenderness is what love looks like in private. So they're connected to each other. So let me ask you, as a member of Christ's church, were you distressed when you heard about George Floyd this week? Did you cry? Or did some part of you at least want to? Or did you sidestep it? Maybe want to defend the policeman uncritically? I mean, we should applaud and, and appreciate, deeply appreciate those who protect and serve us. They're wonderful men and women, the majority of whom are good and just people, but not all are. Some aren't. Major Mayor Fry of Minneapolis said uh, concerning this horrific incident, quote, being black in America shouldn't be a death sentence. For five minutes, he said, we watched a white officer press his knee on a black man's neck. Five minutes, end quote. I mean, we're all aware of abuse that happens in all kinds of places. The sexual abuse that sometimes happens with priests, pastors. I mean, there are some very bad pastors and some very bad priests. The majority are not bad. The majority are good, but some are bad. And it would be wrong for us to defend a bad priest or a bad pastor for acting badly because we're trying to defend the clergy. Defending the clergy is not the point in an abuse case. Defending the police force is not the point in cases like this. If we're ever going to be a loving people or the Jesus people, we have to start with owning what's broken inside us. We have to look in the mirror and examine ourselves. Do we allow ourselves to hate those who are not like us? Do we lose sight of a person's humanity because of 
the color of that person's skin or some other aspect of that person other than that person? If the answer is yes, we must own it. We must repent. John said it, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Dorothy Day said, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Here's the truth of it. Whatever we do on the level of persons in our individual life, we're doing on the level of social practice which impacts what we're doing in our institutions, which becomes the structure of our very culture. That means you matter. Your reactions matter. Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, he said, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. We cannot be the salt of the earth unless we are salty on issues like this. So we'll give Jesus the last word on this. He said to his followers in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer any good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. What's it going to be for us, church? Who are we going to be?